Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I am Donovan D'Souza from The Long Way's Better. And I'm Mark Pybus from The Life of Pi. Welcome to episode 11. This is our second podcast of 2018. And our uh, second episode, Coast to Coast, from uh, Perth and the Gold Coast. Yep, coming to you delayed from opposite ends of the country. Um, we've yep. hopefully sorted out the technical issues and the you know, the logistics of doing it all. For the topic today, we just thought we'd discuss something that's recently in Donovan's memory, and that's his post-Christmas trip to Vietnam. So you went to India with the family for Christmas, and then a side trip to Vietnam um, with yourself and, and your wife. Um, yeah, that's tell correct. Us a bit about the the trip. Yeah, so we we knew that we were going to go to Vietnam, and Alyssa and I have been before, so we wanted to do something a bit different than just going to Hanoi and eating all the street food, which is fantastic. But you know, that's a bit one note for a holiday. So one of the things I was looking up was hiking, and when I came up with results for for hiking it always was trekking in the the north in like the Mount Fancy Pan which is their tallest mountain and the problem that I found out was that Fancy Pan was recently converted into a cable car so you know that completely just takes the challenge out of it so we didn't really want to do a hike like that so then I looked up instead adventure travel in Vietnam and then that kind of came up with this whole new world that I hadn't really ever thought about, which was that Vietnam has the biggest caves in the world and that their caves are, even the smaller caves are huge. And the tours that we found that were in the area just looked so amazing and so different to what we're used to in Australia that I just thought we had to do it. And that's how we ended up doing the Tulan Cave Explorer trip with Oxalis Adventure in Phong Nha National Park in Vietnam. Yeah, so when you think of hiking in Vietnam, you don't really kind of think about, you know, is there an Appalachian Trail or a, you know, a Cape to Cape or anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, nothing really comes to mind. So, yeah, as you said, adventure travel is probably the best way to do it. Um, was this the only one that you found or was this the one that kind of spoke to you? So the Wild Tulan Cave Explorer was the one that probably uh, spoke to us both um, in terms of content and financially because... Um, they, they do have a better one, or, or a more impressive one, I guess you could say, which is uh, in Sondung Cave, which is, it's like 68 million dong to do, which is, you know, that, that translates to, I think, about like two and a half or three and a half grand US, which is, you know, a bit beyond our budget for what we were thinking mm-hmm. of doing. You know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a do-it-yourself hiker. I, I've never really paid for any of those sort of expensive tours. So the price for the Tulane Cave Explorer was much more affordable. I think it was maybe about eight or nine hundred Australian for three days, and it just looked, you know, like a really good tour that went through six different caves, as well as had jungle trekking. So that's that's what really spoke to me about it. Yeah, so it's a good good mix. And just looking at the photos that you posted already, it looks like you had an amazing time. Oh, definitely. Did you stay in Hanoi beforehand, or was that an after trip? Yeah, so we we flew in via Singapore. So we went from Mumbai to Singapore and then Singapore to Hanoi. And we were in Hanoi for a few days. Then we did the tour and then we flew out again to Hanoi. And just before we get into the hiking bit, what were your favorite parts of Hanoi, especially concentrating on the food? Because, yeah, you do enjoy your your food. 
Oh man, the food. I, I, I said this because Alyssa and I went there as part of our honeymoon, and I've said this before. I said we maybe had better meals. Uh, individual meals in other countries so like on our honeymoon we went to a three michelin star restaurant in hong kong and we had some really amazing meals in india but as a whole i don't think there's a country i've eaten more consistently excellently in than vietnam and and hanoi is one of the best places i think to eat food in the world yeah vietnamese cuisine to me is always like it's got very fresh flavors and kind of bit of spice in there but kind of sweet as well is there still much of a, a French influence to their cooking? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can go... Like, the, we went to a um, French fusion restaurant, and they've got things like... And obviously, the the baguettes are really popular there with the banh mi and things like that. So it, it's a really great place to go because it has that influence, but then also the local food is really good. And as you say, because it's fresh and light you don't feel like you know in india by the time i'm done with india i'm always like oh, i don't i can't eat another curry because everything's just so heavy but in vietnam i feel like you could eat that forever and be happy yeah you certainly don't get the horror stories about going to vietnam and picking something up from the food or spending a night somewhere that you didn't really want to spend yeah although that did happen to Alyssa, but that's another story <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that one for another one. Okay, yep. so uh, to all the people that haven't tuned out, hoping that this was a hiking podcast and we're talking about food, we'll get on to the hiking. So day one of your trip, do you want to just kind of go through what your expectations were, um, the group that you had, the porters and the guides and everything and how they were, and just, yeah, the first day? Yeah, so I think, first of all, when it comes to group activities like this, because Alyssa and I, I guess, are very much while I'm not a solo hiker you know Alyssa and I are duo hikers you know we, we always go out together and we do our own thing and we like to do our own thing and while we've sometimes when we did like the overland or the Bibbleman, you're walking with the same group in terms of like the people you see at the campsite at the end of the day but not in terms of what you're doing during the day so that this was a different experience in that we were part of a group and you kind of have to do these as a group because they're not clearly marked or very easy to find if you don't know what you're looking for so that was something that i wasn't quite sure what to expect but i think the group that we got was a really good mix you know we had a few people from ireland we had some australian we had an, an australian guy beyond besides Alyssa and i there was a guy from india and a couple from spain and i'm probably missing someone but it was a really good mix a very friendly group oh there was another there were two guys from australia and I think everyone was in this similar kind of mindset about what they were here for and there were people who are into these kind of adventure trips like there was one of the guys who was on this trip who had done the W trek in Patagonia so people who who are into this kind of thing I think and, and didn't know what to expect of it but had done similar you know things with a similar kind of vibe. So it wasn't one of those horror stories you hear about with uh, like Indonesian hikes where it's a dodgy company and kind of it's a big tourist trap. This company was, was a good one and one you'd research well. Oh yeah, definitely. Like Oxalis um, Adventure Tours are a really great company. They're very professional. They're, there's, I think safety is a big thing. They're not kind of slapdash about it, which I think you can kind of think, oh, it's not a you know a rich first world country so i'm gonna get a low quality for that kind of thing but it wasn't at all like that it was really high quality and in terms of the guides how many did you have and kind of were they friendly were they did they speak a lot of english um how knowledgeable were they of the the surrounding area yeah so we had two guys one was named ken and the other the other guy his name 
I'm not sure how it's. I think it's like Heo or Heo, but he he said you can call me Hero, because um, <laughs> <laughs> you know I guess you know us us dumb Westerners not being able to pronounce their names properly. But they spoke really good English. They were all, they were both of them were university educated. And both of them, you know, were actually very experienced cavers. Like they actually go out and look for new caves. And I th- I'm pretty sure that Ken said that Hiro had actually found one of the big caves himself. Like, so we were very privileged to have, you know, proper, um, really skilled guys. And you know, when you're talking about that, these are the biggest caves in the world and some of the most extensive cave systems in the world. So you're really talking about, you know, world class. You're talking about guides who are like the equivalent of the people who will take you up to Everest or take you to you know one of the these very difficult or very specific kind of hikes so we were yeah you know very lucky to have very good guides and beyond beyond the two of them there were also porters and uh, a cook so we had it was quite a big staff but you probably had the two of them and then a handful of other just people who kind of just helped you out they didn't really speak very good english but they were very friendly and you know they sang they sang songs as they walked and somehow didn't get all muddy while the rest of us did yeah seasoned professionals yeah so you'd obviously you'd research this you'd had a look at the photos was it exactly how you expected as soon as you got into it on day one so on day one they picked us up and from our hotel and took us to their base camp in uh, i think it's pronounced tanhoa then from there we kind of walked out to the first cave and the first bit of walking was kind of going at a slow pace and i was thinking this is a bit of a bludge you know like we're (laughs) we're giving other people our bags to carry and then, you know, we're, we're not really walking very fast. But very soon I found that we were actually going to start picking up pace and that the walking was actually quite challenging. So on the first day, we walked down a road, which was the kind of slow and easy bit. And then they took us to where there was a filming location for King Kong. Then we went through a cave called Rat Cave, which was a really nice, good introduction to the cave systems. And then we did a lot of... Name only, right? Yeah, in name only. So apparently the reason why it was named Rat Cave is that during a... There was like a really bad flood. And when they went to... The villagers went to the cave, all these rats ran out. So they called it Rat Cave. But it's not... That's not a regular occurrence. There there were no rats. But I think there were some bats, though. Yeah, very popular. Especially, yeah. Yeah, just the the wildlife documentaries you see. You always see bats in the big caves and uh, what they deposit on the cave floors. You didn't have that experience, did you? Uh, Yes, we did see some guano, which obviously brought back some Ace Ventura memories. I think if you you watched that in the 90s, you you would definitely think guano as you walk through one of these caves. (laughs) Oh, really? Um, yeah, so we, we definitely had, and I think a few other people said guano like that, and we all were like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so in terms of the trail, obviously you said it's quite muddy. Just how muddy was it? Very muddy. So I think th- this is an area that basically is a floodplain at some times of the year. So it was extremely muddy walking. And because while it didn't absolutely pour down with rain, it was just constantly raining with just a light drizzle for the whole day. Like, I've never seen that because, you know, in Perth, it, it, you know what it's like. It, it, it rains, it pours, and then there's nothing. Um, this was just constant light rain. So it, it wasn't like where you think, oh, wow, it's really going to be raining all day. 
but it was it was just this light rain that just never seemed to stop so that that really meant that the mud just you know the mud was just everywhere and it was really clay mud so we found that the trekking in the jungle bits was you know just ex just extremely like you were just slipping and falling over in different bits I, I fell over a few times you know um and other people fell over and you just get covered in mud which while tasmania is muddy i didn't find it as slippery i think that this was um you know another level of a different type of muddiness because while in tasmania you can get into really deep mud this wasn't as deep like i mean it was it was boot deep but it wasn't like you're gonna go shin deep or knee deep in in mud like you sometimes see in those horror kind of photos but it was very slippery and that that made it very hard in some spots yeah certainly looking at the photos uh there's a few there of Alyssa covered in mud and she's kind of walking a bit funny because she's probably aware that she's probably going to slip over very soon <laughs> yeah exactly it was hard i think there's a photo of her in, on the first day where she's like sliding down a rock and all her her whole legs are covered in mud mm -hmm. i think that's basically yeah that was the first day so you mentioned it's it was drizzle all day was that a welcome yep. relief was it super hot and muggy um on the first day it was i think we found the first day to be quite humid you know i'm not a fan of humidity and it was yeah it was very humid the next two days were not so bad but then the next two days had swimming so that kind of also made it easier but the first day in particular because it was a dry i say dry in inverted commas in that it wasn't a swimming day meant that it was a bit harder in terms of the weather so with going back to rat cave what kind of formations are in there was it like anything you'd see down south or was it a lot more special i think okay i'll put it this way one of the things i find really nice about the cave down south is that there's a lot of formations like it's almost like the whole thing is covered in formations like you don't see the bare limestone that much because they're very um, active caves and because they're underground, I think they're constantly getting water through. These caves are a bit different in the sense that they are, first of all, several magnitudes larger. Secondly, they get flooded every year. So they, they get muddy deposits as well. So they're not that pristine white color, but the scale of the formations is what is amazing. Like, you know, Mammoth Cave is the, the large cave that we have down in Margaret River area. But that would be considered a small, like a small to average cave here, because the the caves were just huge. You just find columns that were much larger than you would see, much taller. I mean, Rat Cave itself was probably more more normal in the sense that it's kind of what I would have expected from a cave. But even then, I mean, the the first cavern that we entered was huge. It was just a massive entrance, and we actually had a picnic in the cave, and it was a nice way to kind of start the expedition. And in that first cavern, is not as active as some of the other parts of the cave, but it still had a lot of very large formations, and it was uh, it was very pretty. So Rat Cave was the only cave that you went in that day. Yeah, that's right. It was it was just the one on that day. I think it was it was that day is more about the jungle trekking, which itself was you know a nice different thing because I think we don't really have jungle in Australia. I mean we have rainforest, but it's again a completely different beast. You know, being here in Queensland, I'm seeing a lot of subtropical rainforest, and it's very different to the jungles in in Vietnam. 
Yeah, looking at the photos, just explain, kind of compare it to maybe what you've experienced here in terms of the gradient on some of them, because it looks quite steep in places, and you add in the mud and the slipperiness and some of the dangerous plants that you mentioned. Um, what was that like? Yeah, so I think if you were to, if this were to be graded by the Australian, you know, walking standards system, you'd probably would say that it was a a class five walk at spots lot of scrambling involved with limestone so the limestone there is you know like I, I always think of limestone as this porous rock that you probably need to be careful with because it'll probably collapse under you you know well, i'm thinking sort of margaret river coastline where that's happened but the limestone felt almost more like the sandstone you find in somewhere like the grampians or calbarry where it was a bit more solid which was nice because it, it made me less scared to hold on to things that it was going to collapse under me but yeah, the, the mud made it harder. So while I've had muddy trails to walk in somewhere like the Overland Track in Tassie, it was, you know, I didn't have that experience. Like when, when you when you go onto the side trips where it's mountains in Tassie, it's not as muddy, it's, it's more rocky. So you don't have to worry about slipping as much. Whereas this was, you know, jagged limestone with mud. So that made it that bit harder because it was two elements that make it make a track harder together and it's even worse together than they would be separately mm. but you eventually made it to the end of the day covered in mud by the photos um, <laughs> yes what was it like getting into camp because obviously you know you've got people there to help you did you have a little bit of a swim was it easy to wash everything and have it dry and what was the campsite and the food like yeah, pretty much. Once I got to the end, I was like, oh, thank God that's over because it was so muddy. Even though I, I really thoroughly enjoyed the walking, it was it was just great to be finished. And um, the fact that both of the campsites for the trip are next to a river and near caves just made it that bit more excellent as an ending that you have this nice, you know, it's, it's like the Bibbleman, you know, like when you get a campsite that is really pretty, it just makes that so much better. You know what I mean? So that was what was really great. I think that they chose really good sites for the campsites and being able to, you know, when you're covered in mud, being able to just hop in water and wash all that mud off was just really nice. Nice to, to finally get clean after all that mud. And what was for dinner that night? I can't exactly remember what we had. I remember there was pork that was like, they had pork that was grilled um, with like charcoal, which was really nice. And they had a few other bits of meat and things, and they had some um, omelette and rice and some vegetables. So it was basically local food that was, you know, they have a very limited kitchen, but they really made do with what they had to produce for us what was a very delicious meal. Certainly, you know, being used to backcountry or dehydrated meals, this was, you know, pretty luxury for us as far as as Alyssa and I were concerned. And also having, they had what they referred to as happy water, which was their rice, I think it was like a rice wine or a rice spirit. That was that was nice to have at the end of the day with with food. Yeah, sounds, sounds really nice. Because, yeah, obviously you get to a campsite on the Billman and you're on your own devices and you have to you know, cook for yourself. And it's nice to have that experience of someone else doing that, which is obviously <laughs> what you paid for. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't normally pay. I mean, definitely Australian kind of of rates of pay are uh, means that I I would probably never do it. But it was 
it was nice in you know in in Vietnam to be able to afford to go. Yeah, you can cook me a meal and and carry my bags for me. That's that's a nice experience for for a change. Mm. And obviously, you know, something that you probably maybe could have done on your own unassisted. But there's just so much easier just booking a trip and have someone else deal with all of that for you. Yeah, for sure. So I'm assuming after all that hiking through the mud and up and down those hills and through caves, you got a good night's sleep. Day two was a little bit more different, wasn't it? A little bit harder, a little bit more uh, caves and swimming and adventures. Yeah, um, definitely. I would say that the second day, uh, I, I think the first day was probably in terms of trekking was definitely the, the hardest day. But the second day was the most, um, the, definitely the, the big cave day because there were three caves. So, you know, there's six caves over the whole trip, and this was the day that had three of the caves. And these are probably the three most impressive caves, and also the three most difficult caves, I think, in terms of getting through. And, yeah, it just was a, a day of... It was probably the, the, the day that was the most caving-oriented. And so, for me, I think it was the best day of the, of the trip. So, with the caves, in your write-up, you mentioned that it wasn't always on foot, do you want to explain your little uh, dalliance in the water early on in day two? Yeah, so the first two caves, uh, one of them I think was Ken Cave and the other one was Tulan Cave. Oh, actually, no, all of them. Because even the last one, which was Hung Kim Cave, even that one was, you know, there was swimming involved. And probably actually, now that I think about it, was the hardest of the lot. So we, we started the first day and it was a bit of a side trip. We left all our stuff at the campsite in Tulan Valley. And from there we walked into this cave and it was just massive. Like the cave was huge. You know, you look, you look up in the, in the ceiling and, and it was like a cathedral. And we had the option of either swimming into the cave or boating into the cave. And Alyssa decided she wanted to take the boat and the majority did. But I decided and a few other people decided that they were going to swim into the cave. And this is sort of like, I think, just coming out of their wet season. So I found that the pressure of the water flowing through the cave was really quite challenging to swim against the current. And I actually have to admit that I struggled a bit with the swimming. Uh, and I, it actually kind of threw my confidence a bit. Since then, I've actually swam in the ocean and did some snorkeling and I feel less crappy about my swimming but um it was it was hard um but it was definitely beautiful to swim in that cave when you weren't fighting against that current to look up at that cathedral ceiling and see all the formations yeah especially after spending a, a few weeks in india as well it's not like you're going to be swimming fit kind of expecting to do a lot of that on your trip yeah and especially you know like swimming in a life vest and with shoes and with a helmet, they just make it so much harder than if you had, you know, if you were just in, in normal clothes, no life vest, and maybe had flippers, I, you know, I probably could have swam against it, but I'm just not that strong against, strong a swimmer, I guess, with all those extra hindrances added in. Yeah, I remember I did a, an adventure race down in Dunsborough, and there was a bit where I was doing the run leg, and they're like, well, you jump off this rock into the ocean, then you swim back. Yeah. I was holding my water bottle and had my shoes on and all my, my running gear on. I was just like, I don't remember swimming being this hard. <laughs> but there you go, <laughs> yeah. it can be. <laughs> can't yeah. imagine what it'd be like with a, a life jacket on. Yeah, I guess, you know, it's, it's, as you're saying, you know, like when you have your shoes on, it's, it's just that extra weight. 
and less aerodynamic and less able to kind of move water the way that you're supposed to when you when you wear boots when you when you're not wearing boots i should say so that was the side trip into tulane cave that was ken cave that first one oh, ken cave. um and then after that we had i think we had lunch yeah we had lunch and then we hopped into one of the like an inflatable raft and then they boated us down into the next cave which was tulane cave um, now, Tulan Cave obviously is the cave that the whole system is named after, and that's because the the Tulan River flows through it. And that cave was really interesting because when we went in, we could hear this rushing water, and they took us to a certain point and said, "Okay, we can only take you this far because this is a safe. This is like the limit of what's safe to take you in because it gets narrow, and the pressure gets really strong through the, the narrow channel." And it just sounded really scary because you couldn't see see anything. You just heard the sound rushing in the darkness around the corner beyond what we could see. And then they took us into this other part of the cave and said, okay, now you're going to get out now and you're going to climb up into the, the next section, which is the dry the dry passage of the cave. And that was just crazy. Like I, I did not expect when they dropped us off that it was gonna be this scramble where we literally were climbing up, zigzagging up very steeply. And you were climbing up and watching people above you walking across. So, it, you know, I, I was thinking about when Alyssa and I did that cave in the Grampians and that, you know, that was cool climbing through a cave up to the top of a mountain. But this was, you know, several leagues more difficult and more um, more steep, I guess. So it was it was a real surprise because we hadn't expected that. But I, I guess we probably should have based on how um, difficult the jungle trekking had been on the first day. And obviously, being, I'm guessing it was dark in there, it would have been a bit kind of weird looking up and then having your head torch shine on someone and not being able to see the full kind of area that you're meant to be walking on would have been quite daunting. Yeah, exactly, because, you know, there's only so much you can see, and even and though the torches are actually quite good, there's still that element, like, you, you're you going around a corner, you don't know what's going on, and there's that next bit where someone's gone beyond, and the, the torch isn't shining, and you're not quite sure what to expect, so, yeah, it was, it just added that extra bit of, of challenge to it. Speaking of things that you wouldn't expect, did you come face-to-face with any of the local wildlife, especially the spiders? Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. There were very large spiders in in the cave. Um, some of them were about the size of a hand, and it was it was really interesting to see them because they they don't look anything like the spiders that I've seen in Australia. So they're you know very different, and also they're cave spiders. So you know they're even more weird in that sense in that they're they're not at all what you'd expect you know of of most spiders that we see in the, in that they are adapted to a very strange kind of circumstance. And we also saw some other species. I think there's some insects we saw that had no eyes or mm. very limited vision, which is a you know typical thing you find in caves. So, yeah, and, and I think a lot of these things live on the guano from the bats. Good life source, that guano. Mm, yes. <laughs> so you're kind of climbing up through Tulane Cave. How long did that last, and was that particularly slippery until you reached the end? It was actually surprising because even though, like, you think, oh, oh, crap, my boots are covered in mud, this is going to be hard. The the handholds made it quite easy. Like, there's a lot of places where you can you can grab on. So it's not, 
if you know from a, a rock climbing point of view it's a very mild problem like you i think most inexperienced rock climbers and scramblers would be able to figure out what to do but i think the surprising bits were when you leave these passageways and suddenly you're in this this next cavern and that to me probably when when we came out of it we were in this cavern that looked like kind of looked like a water feature almost like there was these shelves of water that it looked like in the wet season it water probably cascades over it and it looked like something you'd see at, like a, at the mall or you know in a shopping center or or in Singapore airport as a water feature yeah. so that that was kind of cool to see that in action and you mentioned water features so in your your post of day two which is what i'm going off i'm actually looking forward to when you speak about day three because you haven't written that up yet yeah um, you mentioned in between Tulung and Hang Kim cave there is a couple of very pretty kind of water features you want to talk a bit more about them yeah so um first of all when you leave Tulan cave i have to say that Tulan cave's exit was probably the prettiest of them all is this quite wide entrance that's quite short vertically but wide horizontally and it's just a nice view out into the forest and then from there the jungle trekking was probably some of the nicest of the of the lot in that after leaving the cave you then trek down through the forest through the jungle sorry and then you end up at a river where you have to to cross it and it was actually quite deep i think it was you know beyond waist deep probably like stomach deep i guess but you know the water wasn't super fast so it wasn't dangerous and then after crossing that there were these waterfalls and the waterfalls were really really very pretty and i think because it had just come after the wet season they were you know they're really gushing out of water and then after what looking at this waterfall we then kind of kept going to the side and it had to walk over these other small waterfalls to get across to the other end so it was really nice that you know it wasn't just like oh we're linking the, linking the um two caves together with some forest trekking the forest trekking was actually as interesting as the caves in its own way yeah, certainly. Yeah, any water feature kind of adds a highlight to any day that I'm hiking. So it's good that it, yeah, it wasn't just trekking through the jungle, especially in humid conditions. Yeah. And as you said, as, it wasn't as drizzly as the previous day. Yeah, as um someone here, we were talking about, you know, in Queensland, how a lot of the walks here have waterfalls. And, and he was saying, oh, you know, if you're, if you're bored of waterfalls, if you hate waterfalls, then maybe this is not the place for you. And he was saying, yeah, who who hates waterfalls, you know, like... It's everyone loves waterfalls. They always make exactly. a walk great. Especially if you're a nineties kid and every time you hear the word waterfall you start humming that TLC song. Oh man, definitely. <laughs> Who doesn't like a good chase of a waterfall? <laughs> exactly. So what was what was next after the, the lovely waterfalls that you chased and found? So after that was Hung Kim Cave, which was by far the hardest of all the six caves that we did. Um it really was a challenge. And it was, I think it was all the more challenging because it, I think it tested your, your abilities in different ways. So I'm probably, especially after the morning, I was a bit less confident as a swimmer, especially against the, the kind of fast flowing river that we're swimming through. But I'm a confident scrambler. So I found the scrambling very easy. Whereas other people, like Alyssa, found the scrambling through the cave really to be quite challenging and, and a bit scary considering she's not great with heights and there were moments where we had a lot of exposure. So through Hung Kim, first of all, you kind of go through the forest a bit more 
and after you're there we were kind of kind of told like okay you're going to keep going up and as we kept going up scrambling through the rocks suddenly we were at this passage where we where we had to scramble up into the cave again like we had in in Tulan and it was even more like ridiculous scrambling than the first one and then we found ourselves in this large cavern and we saw an entrance a sorry an exit to the cave on one side and then another bit of cave going to the right that was into the darkness and we were thinking oh are we going to go up because that cave entrance there looks pretty good but no we weren't we were going straight into the darkness and it was easily the hardest part of the whole thing because there was a bit of walking along the edge and the comparison that I made that it was like in Karajini when you're walking along the ledges and you have to kind of hold on but except you don't know what's in the water because you can't quite see and it's probably bits of jagged limestone below rather than a nice cool pool also the water's really fast moving so you want to be careful because you don't want to get swept away Mm. and also you've got muddy boots so just all these things that made it difficult and then after that you have to swim across to the next bit and the water's you know flowing very fast and you've got a backpack at that stage oh that's right we, we were had a backpack added to make it more difficult we had helmets and the life vest and shoes and yeah just swimming against that was tough but thankfully the guides were helpful like they just helped me a little bit by giving me a bit of a push and then after swimming to that next bit there was this this bit where we have this they had this ledge and it's like walking along a ledge with a sheer drop below to fast flowing water and jagged rocks and there was this one bit where we rounded a corner and there were heaps of hand and footholds so it made it, it was very easy to get around but you're just looking below and and it's just that realization that if you really stuffed up here there'd be no hope for you and that just made it really hard but i think they probably kind of moved us through it quickly so that we didn't really have time to think about it because i think if you thought about it you'd probably think oh my god how can they be taking us through here yeah imagine it'd be quite easy to like freeze up and freak out yeah especially if you weren't as confident um with your abilities or your scrambling yeah as you are don there may be someone in your party that didn't quite enjoy that section as much as you did um yes yes you're right like Alyssa did not enjoy it uh, I think well no that's not fair she did enjoy it but she also found it very challenging and it really tested her by kind of pushing her to the limit and yeah, she sounds like it's one of those things that while you're doing it you're not kind of enjoying it as much but afterwards you kind of look back on it and you're like yeah that was a little bit dangerous but also yeah quite a bit of fun yeah, exactly, and and I think she got to the end of it, and she, you know, her adrenaline, her adrenaline was probably up, and she got to the end of it, and and just started crying a bit <laughs> because you know it just was so such an emotional experience, and she didn't really have time to really feel it until after she finished it. So yeah, that was it was pretty full on. So that was the end of the day, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the end. We we reached the uh, Tomo Valley campsite, which overlooks a small cave. And there's a waterfall to the end as well where there's another cave. So it's another nice sort of like on the river, views of caves, nice kind of campsite where we had, you know, another nice dinner. So, yeah, another great sort of end to the day. Mm. All right, well, I'm going to let you talk about day three because I've not read anything about it, not seen any photos. So, yeah, go for your life. I'm gonna, just going to sit back and enjoy this. <laughs> so, yeah, day three, which 
at the time of recording has not been published, but probably will be by the time this is out. So, day three was from Tomo Valley and that was, and then back to Tanhoa. And that basically took us through another two caves. So the first of the caves that we went into was Hangton Cave. And Hangton Cave, normally when it's not the wet season or near the, the, you know, the start of the, the hiking season, you can actually climb up the waterfall and into the cave. But because the water was flowing quite fast, they actually arranged a boat for us. And it was kind of funny because the porter actually picked this, like, it's just amazing. These guys are so strong. He just picked the boat up and was like, yep, no problem. Put it on top of his head, walked into the cave, brought it in while we walked through another way, which was um, a bit less safe. I mean, a bit more safe than where he was going because with a big boat and with running water could be dangerous what, the way he went. And then they, um, they ferried us through the cave to another dry passage. And then this was probably one of the more adventurous parts of the whole trip, beyond the, the crazy scrambling the previous day, which was that they took us into this huge... The chamber would have been probably, I don't know, like maybe 30 meters tall. And they, they took us a bit beyond it to look at some other formations on the other side. And then after that, we had to climb up this 15 meter ladder. And it was a really, you know, really tall ladder that took up, you know, almost as much as the, the place was tall. And this is again, I guess, a sign of how safe it was. Cause in some countries there are treks or trails where you are expected to climb a long ladder. And I think, I, I don't know how tall they are, but I know that on the, uh, the West Coast Trail in British Columbia that there are some ladder climbs and there's quite a lot of them that are quite daunting looking. But Oxalis dealt with it very well. It was, it was not a hard ladder climb. I think most people could probably have made it with no problem. However, they did give us a rope and they gave us a harness so that if anything did happen, if we slipped on the ladder, we were fine. And that really, I think, was a sign of, of the kind of quality that you're getting out of these guys. So, you know, they're definitely well worth the, the price of admission. Then after that, there was this, this slope where they had a rope tied to the wall, which meant that you could climb up the, the slope because it, it was a bit slippery being a cave to the next level, which then took us out of that first cave. Once we were done with that, there was a bit more jungle trekking and it actually took us to this open field. And that was the first time basically since well, besides the campsites that we had an open field to walk in because everything had been this closed in jungle. And so this was a nice change of pace, but um, that didn't last long though. Next thing we knew, we were again scrambling up this, you know, limestone ridge trying to get up to the next cave. And the next cave we went up to, the, the trail was quite easy to follow, but the cave itself was narrow and, in, and inconspicuous. It really lived up to its name, which was that it was called Secret Cave. Because for a long time, the villagers in the area knew that there was a cave on the other side. They knew the other entrance, but they didn't know this one, which was that, that the cave had another entrance. And this cave entrance was really narrow. It was basically single file. You had to crawl in backwards. And because everything was muddy, it meant that you were crawling backwards and just rubbing against mud. Um, so everyone was basically horribly filthy by the end of crawling through this cave. But that wasn't the hard part. The hard part was that there was this section you had to kind of climb up and over to get to another narrow bit that you could actually fit through to then climb down the other side. 
And as I was climbing up through there, my boot got stuck, which just made it that, that bit more awkward and difficult in that I had to kind of push myself up and through this hole, but then also deal with the fact that my boot was stuck. So that, that, was, um, that was interesting and, and difficult. And then from there, we reached the end of the cave and had a bit of a picnic morning tea before making our way down to the river. And basically, on the first day, when we reached Rat Cave, we were boated across this river. But on the, this last day, we actually walked across the river. We had to basically cross the river on foot. And the water was quite fl fast flowing, but it wasn't... It was within what was probably the, a safety margin. Um, in Australia, they probably would have put up a sign and said, don't cross, it's too dangerous. But I think it's something that most people were able to, to do quite easily. And for the people who didn't, like Alyssa helped some other people out because, you know, we, we knew how to cross. We've crossed some pretty difficult rivers in the past and she walked, you know, arm in arm with them and did the whole walk in the pack, power in numbers kind of thing. And they all made it across safely and quite easily. Mm, I'm sure it would have been a relief after... Yeah, your muddy experience in the cave to then come out and be able to wash off properly. Oh, yeah, definitely. It was actually perfect because after that cave, it was just exactly what we needed, which is to, to get in the water and wash off all that mud. Then from there, it was basically an easy walk back to the village where we had showers, washed our, all our gear off, picked up our suitcases, which we left with them when we first started the trip. And then they took us to the village, like a village cafe, well, they served us some um, no local noodles that were really delicious with some local beer. And then they dropped us off at our hotels or back at Donghoi, which is the, the main city nearby, where we could catch trains or planes back to where we needed to get to. So, yeah, it was, it was a good last day. I think it wasn't as... It was a bit more chill, definitely, than the first two days. But I think it was a, it was a good program and a nice way to, f to finish it. And did you have a, like, obviously you mentioned you're at the cafe. Um, how was the group? Was everyone relieved, excited, disappointed it was over? What was the mood like? Yeah, so I was talking to some of them and like there was a guy named Ray who was um, an Australian guy who lives in the UK. And he's the guy who had gone to Patagonia and done the W track. And so we were talking about it saying, you know, where would you rate, rate this? And he's, he's also been to Costa Rica and seen probably a lot of the things that you've seen, Mark, in Costa Rica, which I think would make a, a good episode in the future to do a bit of a reverse Maybe one day um, I'll, interview. I'll do all the talking and you can awkwardly interview <laughs> like I have been. <laughs> exactly. Um, so he, he's been to some pretty cool places and seen some great things. And, you know, the W track is a place that is a, you know, one of those great walks that everyone always talks about. And it's on bucket lists and people talk about it. And he just said, and I, I agreed with him, he says, I can't believe that people don't talk about this. That this isn't the first thing when you look up things to do in Vietnam, that people don't talk about this as, as a thing. And I said, I totally agree. Like, we, we both said, you know, having me done the Overland and he having done the W track as, as you know, these, these great walks that people talk about. We felt that in its own way that this was as good and as, as interesting as, as those walks are because you know where else in the world are you going to get caves like this and they're wild caves they're not show caves that have been done up for tourists but you get to really explore them and they're not so difficult that you're going to struggle but 
there's that nice element of challenge to it still. You know, it just was was fantastic, and I would love to. I wish I had the money to go and do Sondung and do the. I think it's like nine days in this the world's largest cave because it was really special. It was a really special walk. This uh, the Tulang Cave Explorer. Because mm, certainly, when you think about Vietnam, either the war comes up. Or you think of maybe like Kentucky trips where you see Halong Bay, the popular beaches, and you kind of, you dabble in tourist experiences. But obviously, yeah, three-day expeditions is not something I would have expected before you mentioned it to be like a, a really, really great experience and a must-do. So it is it's kind of weird that, yeah, it's not really talked about as a, a destination for kind of adventure holidays. Yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that even you have to look up adventure holidays and not trekking mm. is is a thing because, you know, when you look up uh, South America walks and you're going to get all the, the greatest hits of, you know, Peru and Patagonia and same with America or, or Australia, you know, you're going to get the Bibbulmun, you're going to get the Overland, you're going to get Thorsben Trail or Larapinta, all these things will come up very easily. The fact that, you know, looking up walks Vietnam or trekking Vietnam doesn't come up with this first is madness to me because it really it should be on those lists of, of like great places to go to go hiking mm. and it's not like your typical adventure holiday where you'd jump on a mountain bike or you'd go whitewater rafting or something it was predominantly walking and caving which is pretty much walking anyway exactly exactly maybe it's just because it is run through a company and as you said not marked as a trail I'm sure you're super happy that you've discovered it and had that great experience and now you've just got to tell the world about it. Yeah, exactly. These things are things that maybe you don't want to overdo because you don't want too many people to go. But, you know, I think Oxalis, they have nice limited size groups. I think we had 11 people, which is, you know, that's not overdoing it. I think that those are really important things to get right because you hear of, of horror stories of people going on the Inca Trail and it being a, um, you know, a continuous line of people mm. and it just takes away the experience. So the fact that this is a, was a good small group, you sometimes saw some other groups in, in the distance. You didn't really s hang out with other groups. So you really were just with your group, but it never felt crowded. It felt like a good amount of people, you know, enough for them to probably make it worth their while financially, but not overdoing it where you have like 30 people and it's a crowded Contiki tour. Yeah, certainly from what you've described, I can imagine some of those sites being just populated by terrible Instagram kind of look at me kind of posts. Yeah. So it is yep. good that they've, you know, they limit the numbers and they're aware of kind of protecting the experience for others, which I guess is kind of what you're paying for. It's, you're not paying money to hang out with a whole load of people and have that be ruined. So good on them. The one thing that I, I, I do hope is that there has been talk of the Vietnam government wanting to build a cable car through Sondung, which is the biggest cave. And I really hope that doesn't happen because I think that's a terrible way of doing it. I think that the way Oxalas deal, deal with it, where they have these small tours and they limit the numbers. And, and you know, like I think Sondung being expensive, while I'm not happy that I can't afford it, it probably is also not a bad thing in terms of making it something that is limited you know it, it's the sort of thing that you don't want too many people to be to be going into and you don't want to have that situation where there's going to be rubbish in the cave or that people are going to be you know the, the, all the formations will be ruined because people are touching the cave formations and 
I think, you know, building a cable car through it is, is a terrible idea. It's, it's why we didn't go to, to Sapa to do fan, not Fancy Pan. It, 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 just does, it just takes away from what Alyssa and I look for when we, we go to these kind of places. Yeah, definitely it could be spoiled. And I understand where you're coming from because as nice as it is to have everyone be able to access it, I think there's a few, or certainly a lot of locations around the world where you do that and it just instantly gets ruined. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it's one of those things. It is the, the world's largest cave. It is a cave that's filled with just absolutely beautiful formations. And even these smaller ones that we went to had, you know, were filled with absolutely stunning formations. And just like, you know, we take care of like tingle forests in the southwest or take care of rock formations like Uluru or Karajini or whatever, you know, those sort of things. We, we just got to take care of it. You know, they're special places and these special places need to be protected. And on that inspiring and epic note, uh, thanks very much, Donovan, for kind of relaying your trip to us and kind of hopefully you'll inspire a few more people to get out to Vietnam to do some hiking. Sounds like you had a great trip. I did, and um, yeah, always happy to talk about, about hikes, and I look forward to talking about your trip to Costa Rica in a, f- in a future podcast. Yeah, we'll get on to that, and if you do want to see photos and kind of read a bit more about what Don Melissa um, went through, or visit The Long Ways Better, yeah, by the time this is aired, there'll be all three days um, up as posts. Thank you very much for listening in. We'll be back in, in two to three weeks, um, depending on Donovan's schedule, but yeah. We'll see you then. Thank you very much for listening. Yep, thank you for listening.